God, our Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, by the presence of his Holy Spirit among us, and he's within every single believer, and he's given in baptism. All God's people said, Amen. It's one of the deep truths of Christmas. It's still Christmas season for a couple more days. One of the deep truths of Christmas that we treasure the most is shared with us in John chapter 1, verses 14 to 17, that Gary read a little bit ago. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word, we discovered that this the word in John chapter 1 is Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's one of the things that we grab onto and hold onto the most about Christmas. Isn't it amazing that the God of all glory, who spoke the heavens and the earth and, and life into existence, didn't stay far away in his throne room and sit in his chair and just go, look at how they're messing things up down there today. No, this God took on flesh, was born of Mary, uh, born just like you and me, needing to be cleaned up and, and swaddled up and kept in warm um, blankets and stuff. The whole thing. Hunger, thirst, sleep, all the way through to his crucifixion around 30-some years old. Jesus, God, took on flesh and dwelt among us, and so he knows what it's like. He knows what we're going through. He's experienced it. Uh, so we don't have to be alone. Even if I'm completely alone in human terms, I've got a companion, a God, who has lived through it right here with me. That's a powerful truth that we treasure and hang on to. Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. There's no one like Jesus. Amen? Full of grace and truth. Full of grace. Grace is God's love for you, even when you and I do not deserve it. And sometimes we're painfully aware of how much we don't deserve it. Other times we're skating along, and but full of grace and full of truth truth we desperately need. John bore witness about him. John the Baptist, and he cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. That's a whole bunch of, boy, you got to dig in there. But he, he's declaring that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that Jesus has existed from before all time. He declared that about Jesus and so much more. In verse 16, for from his fullness, Jesus' fullness and grace and truth, we have all received, say with me, grace upon grace. <laughs> that's, that's a wonderful way to start a new year. Tough new year, right? We thought 2020 was going to be 2021, it's going to be better than 2020. We hope. I, I'm not going to get into all that stuff. God's doing what God needs to do. And, and whether a year is better than the year before or worse, and in the end, it doesn't really matter that much, folks. What matters is, are you and I listening to God? Are you and I getting on track with the Lord? Are you and I praying for and loving on and trying to, to bring our neighbors into the kingdom? That's what matters, whether it's New Year's Day or July 10th or whatever. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Praise God for such a Savior. So Jesus became flesh, and he walked among us 2,000 years ago. How can we know his presence today? Those blessed folks back then got to, to grab a sack lunch of fish and bread, yum, and 
go sit for hours and hours and listen to Jesus. They got to see him heal. People crowded around him, and every single person who touched him got healed. So, but that was 2,000 years ago. Can you and I know his presence at all today? Are we just out of luck? We can, we can know his presence in a lot of ways. Two of the ways, we've already seen one of them this morning in the baptism. We're going to have another one in communion. Where do we see and experience the presence of God in baptism? Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Holy Spirit's writing to Apostle Paul here, and Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I don't know how to explain that. I don't know anybody that can. It happened here this morning. We saw it happen. Can you explain it? I can't explain it. It's wonderful. You were baptized into his death, Marissa. Every single person who's been baptized is baptized into Christ Jesus' death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death with a purpose in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, I'm going to throw some Easter at you. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He says baptism connects us to that. When it's all received by faith, when you believe in Jesus, all these things are received and they become real for us. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father for this purpose, baptism and everything else is for this purpose, that we too might walk in newness of life. Now, you don't have to. You can go home today and go, that was kind of fun. Been there, done that. You can put it on the shelf and walk away. But with baptism and all that God's given you, you've got an opportunity. That you might walk in newness of life. So maybe somebody here this morning needs to come back to that newness of life. Maybe you have walked. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you need to dip your finger this morning and remember, God, what you gave me is still real. It's you did it. It's still your promise. It's me come. You didn't break it, God. I'm coming back to it this morning. Maybe that's maybe this is the morning for you. That we might walk in newness of life. Anybody here need newness of life with Jesus this morning? Powerful stuff. How about Galatians chapter 3, verse 27? Just one verse there. Chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, say with me, have what? Have put on Christ. Like the clothes you put on this morning. Thank you for doing that, by the way. You put clothes on this morning. You put coats on this morning because it's cold out there. In baptism, we put on Christ. So what does that mean? I, I put these clothes on this morning. The presence of them is still on me. Amen? Mm -hmm. You put on Christ in baptism this morning. His presence is on you. And find out that his presence is in you. In your baptism, you put on the presence of Christ Jesus. So... Yeah, we, we don't get to walk with Jesus and rub elbows and sit and have some fish and bread for lunch with him in a physical way. We can know his presence in 
precious way in baptism. And baptism goes forward. Martin Luther used to thank God for his baptism every single day in his devotion. Because of all the big stuff God had done in baptism. And part of that is, I put on Jesus when I was baptized. Now, we got the baptism thing covered pretty good. Where do we see and experience the presence of God in communion? Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There's a lot of great stuff here, but I'm going to boil it down to kind of what we're, we talk about the presence here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And here the Apostle Paul is, is writing to the, the, the community, the Christian church in Corinth, and they've been destroying the Lord's Supper when they, cel when they celebrate it. Um, they've just been wrecking it. So Paul gives them a whole bunch of, stop doing that. You're actually eating judgment and sin upon yourselves and start doing it the right way. And so in the midst of that conversation, he writes here in verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my what? This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my what? Blood. Do this as often as you drink it. So how many times do you need to be baptized, Marissa? One time. She knows this from confirmation. One time. One time is all we need. What, what, what sense do we get about communion? How, how, much, how, how much are we going to need communion? How many times do we need communion? She says, as often as you do this, you get the idea that he wants us to do this a lot, all the time, and we'll find out until when. There's, there's an end uh, on the, the, the term. But he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So how long are we going to keep celebrating communion together, people? Until Jesus comes on the clouds and says, we're done with that. It's a whole new ballgame. Say hallelujah. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup. Now, isn't that interesting? He just said it's the body and blood. Now what's he calling here? Well, it's the bread and the cup. Lutherans have taught for 500 years that somehow the presence of Jesus is in the bread and the wine and the juice. You don't understand it, so I kind of like baptism. But in this passage, it's clear. And Jesus didn't say, um, from now on, this bread is a symbol for my body. It represents my body. He didn't say that. He said, this is my body. Somehow he's present. And Paul, Paul, when you read this whole passage, the whole chapter 11, he goes back and forth. One second he calls it bread. Next thing he's calling it body. Then he's back to bread. Then he's back to body, literally. And with the wine. Calls it wine here, calls it blood here. Back and forth, back and forth. He's saying it's both. In this meal, when the body of Christ gathers and calls in the name of Jesus, it's both. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the what? The body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There he does it again. He says, you know what? There is a way to blow it this morning. You can do this meal unworthily. You can biff it. You can mess it up so bad that it actually adds to your sin rather than helps with it. 
He said, I don't want to do that. How, how do I not do that? He says, you need to discern. You need to understand that this is the body and blood of Jesus present here. Because the congregation in Corinth wasn't treating it like that. And he says, you're actually adding to your sin instead of having forgiveness of your sin coming to you by faith. So how do you eat the bread and drink the juice in a worthy manner? You confess your sins and, add, and, and, and know and understand you need a Savior. That Jesus, when he did for you on the cross, you need that. And that he is your Savior, and you honor him with that. But the way you receive this meal in a worthy manner is you acknowledge, somehow, Jesus, you're here in your body and your blood. And I'm going to honor you in this meal as you are blessing me with forgiveness and love and salvation. And that's why it, it's, it's different with communion. Amen? It's not a party in the sense of the normal party. There's a, there's a humility and there's a somberness and there's a focus about communion as there should be. Verse 29 says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so we, we're careful with this meal because Jesus makes it really clear we should be. And so you don't have to kneel. Jesus doesn't say you got to get on your knees to receive this meal. But we do that here because it helps us. It helps me to humble myself. When I get on my knees before the <coughs> Lord, it helps me to, to admit, I really need a Savior. I really need to know that the body and blood that Jesus gave up for me on the cross, I need to know it's for me. That helps us to do that. So in baptism, we got the water. You can feel the touch, in a sense, the touch of God in the baptismal waters. You can taste and chew and swallow the body and blood of Christ. It's a really different kind of thing, right? Now, it's interesting. The people who walk with Jesus, they got to hang out with him, see him face to face. It's only after Jesus died and rose that we get to do the baptism and communion thing. So we get to experience the Lord in a way that they didn't. I'm super glad for opportunity. There's such power in this meal, people. I've said this before, but it got me through seminary. Seminary was exceedingly difficult. Lots of professors were just beating on, on my faith and trying to reorient and and uh, take us away from the word of God and change it to something else. And, and it was hard, really hard. And, but we had weekly, we had everyday chapel, and every Wednesday we had communion. And I knew no matter what nonsense the preacher might put out there that day in chapel, I knew that that didn't matter. Because I knew I was going to meet Jesus. And his body and his blood were going to come inside of me, and by faith, I was going to know his presence. I'm not kidding you. Communion got me through seminary. And there are believers that I know that will put chains on their car and do whatever they have to do to get here in a communion center because they need communion. It's true from the word of God. So I bless you in that. So we experience the presence of God also in other ways. Whenever you read the scriptures, hear me say that. Whenever you read the scriptures, you're experiencing the presence of God. 
word of God is alive and active. And when you and I take the time to actually open ourselves up to it and read it, God says, I will meet you in that moment and I will speak to you. I will encourage you. I'll bring conviction. I'll bring correction. I'll give you wisdom. But God's word is alive and active. So be opening it so his presence can come in that way and minister into your life. So we've got baptism and communion, the word of God. Even before baptism and communion uh, and the completion of the New Testament, King David experienced the presence of God. Can you imagine that? Old Testament. Psalm chapter 3. just want to do this for fun quick. Psalm chapter 3, verse 1. Now this, David wrote this psalm. If you read above it, sometimes David made little notes about what was going on in his life when he wrote the psalms. That's so cool. This one is when he was fleeing from Absalom, his son. Absalom was trying to kill his dad. And there, there was real legit issues between father and son there. David did not treat him right. And Absalom grew, grew up, didn't forgive his dad. He grew up bitter and angry and he grew to hatred. And Absalom decided, I'm taking the throne. My dad's a jerk. And Absalom wooed thousands and thousands of supporters and followers. And one day he rose up with his followers and he tried to kill his dad and take the throne. And David fled. The people who were faithful to him, David fled Jerusalem for a time until this all got straightened out. And this is when, David, can you imagine? Your son grabs a bunch of people and tries to kill you and take your throne? That's where David wrote the psalm. Psalm 3, verse 1. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? And one of them is my son. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, King David, ha, there's no salvation or victory for him in God. We're taking him down today. Verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a, say it with me, are a shield about me, a shield that encompasses all the way around me and above and below me. You, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. When we get depressed and bummed out, what, what happens with our head, our countenance? I don't want to look anybody in the eye. I don't have the energy to look anybody in the eye. I'm just going to try and get through today. Can you imagine your son is trying to kill you? He's chasing you? With soldiers trying to take your throne. And so David is leaving Jerusalem, his head is down, but then he says, God, you're my shield all around me. Your presence and protection is all around me. You're my glory. Oh, thank you, God. You're the lifter of my head. So when God lifts, who does the lifting here? God is lifting his head. So David, in his, in his depression and his grief and everything else going on in his life, he cries out and he says, God, help me. Everybody out there is saying that there's no chance for me for victory in God. But I'm calling on your name today, God. What does God do? God comes down and gets his head. Sometimes you have no choice. Let me lift up your Maybe you came dragging in here this morning. Life is hard. Jesus said, you're going to have tribulation. This life is going to be hard. Call in his name and 
let God lift your head. What's he, what's he doing? He's saying, look up to me, my child. I'm blessing you. I'm giving you victory today. I'm going to bring you through today. It's going to be okay. Today, tomorrow, whatever you're worried about, trust me with it. I am a shield, my presence around you. God is a lifter of our heads. Verse 4, he says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. And then he says, I lay down and slept. His son was trying to find him with troops to kill him. David was able to lay down and sleep. Wow. Because God was a shield around him. He knew the presence of God around him. He says, I lay down and I slept. I awoke again for, say with me, the Lord sustained me. Did David know the presence of God even before Jesus came in the flesh, even before baptism and communion? Yeah, he knew the presence of God even back then. So the Lord physically lived among us from his Christmas birth all the way to the cross, out of the empty tomb, hallelujah, for many days showing himself alive to the disciples. He did all that in the flesh. He has given us a number of ways to know his presence. Even his touch, if you will. In baptism, the water, and communion, the bread, and the juice. Sometimes we have a sense of his protection like, like David did. There's been a couple moments in my life when I just knew I was surrounded by the presence of God and the death that should be happening to me was not happening. I just knew it was the presence of God. Sometimes we have a sense of God all around us like a shield. And now here's one of the most wonderful outcomes of Jesus coming at Christmas in the flesh. By his eventual death and resurrection, Jesus won for us this opportunity to know God's presence. John chapter 14, verse 15. We go here fairly often, maybe two, three, four times in a year. It's one of those passages that we need often. John 14, 15. At the Last Supper, Last Supper, the disciples are, are bummed. They know, yeah, their hearts are crying. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, what? Helper. What do you notice about the H in that word helper? Gee, capitalized. Who are we talking about? Talking about the Holy Spirit of Jesus. <laughs> He will give you another helper to be with you how long? Forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, you need some presence of God? How close do you need it? How about on the inside, amen? For he dwells with you and will be in you. So I baptize you with water on the outside, Marissa. With the Holy Spirit, where'd he go? He went on the inside. Jesus, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Talking about Pentecost, people. Holy Spirit coming. We're not orphans. We're children of God. We're adopted. We're part of the family. He came at Pentecost. So... 
He still comes to us in his living word, comes to us like a shield around us, comes to us in baptism and in communion. And in communion, Jesus points us to the best experience of his presence we can possibly imagine. So I'm going to go back to 1 Corinthians 11 for this one verse to, to finish today. 1 Corinthians 11, 26. G, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we get the presence of Jesus in this special way today. We're going to keep doing this until he comes. And we don't have to do it anymore then. Why? Because when Jesus comes, we get to see him He transforms our earthly bodies. If we're here when this happens, this thing's getting traded in for a glorious body on the way up. Hallelujah. And we're going to see him face to face, and not just for a moment, and not, you know, here, take a number. You're 10,550. In about three years' time, you're going to see the Lord for five minutes. No. You get to see him face to face and live in his presence. So these are little foretastes, baptism, communion, Holy Spirit filling, presence around us, the Word of God alive. These are these are little foretastes, big foretastes sometimes, but that face-to-face forever time. It's going to take us to meet him in the clouds and then take us on into glory. Hallelujah. Let's meet the Lord in communion, shall we? Awesome God and mighty Lord. You, you know God. You, you don't just give us these different ways to experience your presence as, as crumbs from the table. God, this is your heartbeat. This is your will, your heart's desire to, for you to have us in your presence. So you gladly give us these encouragements. Thank you, God. We bless you, God. We thank you for allowing um, Marissa to experience the touch of your presence in baptism this morning. And now, God, you're going to welcome all of us to your table. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to keep on doing this and remembering you, Jesus, and experiencing your presence in your body and your blood. We're going to keep on doing this faithfully until the trumpet blows and we see you face to face. Lord Jesus, now we come and we want to receive communion in a worthy manner. So we humble ourselves, we confess our sins, our need for a Savior. We acknowledge, Lord, somehow, some wonderful way, your body and your blood is present. And we receive your presence and your sacrifice by faith. Thank you, Jesus dying for us, forgiven our sins, making us fit for heaven in your perfect presence. Father, it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.